Hello, this is Kumbasike, this is Connor, and this is episode 39. This is the first ever group discussion. We're going to talk about topics such as harassment towards women and toxic masculinity. My two guests today are Michelle Jaeger and Pierre. Michelle has traveled solo to Budapest, initially from the States, now in Vietnam, and Pierre has built a research thesis from working with a UK charity about toxic masculinity. How are you doing, guys? Uh, well, doing okay. Doing okay? Yeah, all right. Intrigued to see where the conversation goes. Yeah, I'm also <laughs> intrigued because, you know, as I've said to you just before we started, first ever kind of group discussion. So, yeah, I think we should just get it rolling. Um, who should I start with? I'll ask you then, Michelle, if that's okay. Um, do you mind telling me a bit about, say, your background kind of from your solo travel experience and how you ended up in Vietnam? Absolutely. Yeah, I grew up in a small town in South Dakota, which no one knows, but you can just imagine farmland, yeah, very sure. rural setting. Um, so I knew like travel was just on the to-do list. So I graduated from South Dakota um, University with a degree in secondary education. Mm. And the first job I got was in Budapest teaching. So I was sort of shopping that region, but I really struck off, um, I think, to the bewilderment of my parents to Central Europe just to see what would happen. <laughs> um, and I got really lucky. The teaching job was wonderful. I was... Um, working with mostly Hungarian students in a bilingual setting. I was there for two years, and by that point in my life, I decided I never wanted another winter, and that was the impetus of finding Vietnam. Oh, yeah. I just started searching like all these expat blogs of like best quality of life, um, wages versus cost of living, etc., and they all pointed towards Vietnam. So I took like a gap year back in the States. My parents lived in Wyoming at that time, so I took a year substitute teaching and kind of applying to schools in Vietnam. Mm. And I got picked up, well, I got hired here uh, now like a year and a half ago. Sure. Um, and so I just left at this job too, moved to Vietnam, what would that be, the summer, like July of 2019? Yeah, same as me. Yeah, yeah. 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 And mm. I've been, yeah, pleasantly surprised by the adventures of Asia. I didn't know what I was jumping into again, but... Yeah, for real. And so kind of... Spot. How come, if I may ask you, you chose to go solo throughout um, all of this? I guess I don't know who I would have brought with me, <laughs> to be quite frank. Um, it, well, I guess surprisingly I had a boyfriend during each leap that became long distance and then fell apart. But it was mm. just like, I knew I wanted to see more to the world. I knew I had this degree that applied so well to working and living abroad that I was like, I'm I'm going to go. And I always thought they would be like short term, like little study abroad, then I'd go home. Sure. And that's sort of what they've been. My parents are disappointed that the two year stint was so long in Budapest and then home. And now Vietnam, I've just resigned for a third year with my school. Nice. So they were, yeah, experiments of I'll go see how it is. I can come home when I need to. I can apply for jobs here. So I was very lucky, very privileged in the sense that I had that fallback of like, I know I can go home if this isn't my place and I've just found good places so kind of stuck it out yeah sounds awesome yeah so then about yourself Pierre how was your background how have you kind of ended up around in Vietnam oh uh, well that was not anticipated at all um I, I grew up in Paris and um you know I was um I studied economics and I started working in advertising I was a strategist and uh, I kind of was, you know, on the set course of, you know, staying there because Paris is quite central when you work in this kind of industry. Um, but at some point I just realized that, you know, I had lived 
25 years in Paris and I wanted to see something else. I didn't want to land and wake up 40 years later yeah, thinking like, yeah. what the hell am I doing here? I've never seen anything else. So I moved to London at that time and uh, well, I started doing little jobs, uh, worked in real estate a little bit and I realized how crappy it was as, a, as an industry, <laughs> uh, how cynical it was and it was just killing me. So, you know, after six months, that felt like six years. I, I decided to go back to school there and I got the opportunity to study um, uh, service experience design in which I, I, I landed on, on this thesis where I studied toxic masculinity because this is a discipline that, that aims at addressing wicked problems, uh, social issues and, uh, and try to, to apply a framework to you know, find solutions for that. So yeah, sure. that, that's, why, that's why I, I attach myself to toxic masculinity and also because obviously I'm a, my personal experience. And um, from there, um, I met a wonderful Korean woman uh, who uh, got an opportunity here in Vietnam and I, I followed her because I figured it was probably going to be easier for uh, a French white guy to find a job in Vietnam than it would be for a Korean woman to find a job in Paris. So Right, sure, yeah. <laughs> and it's obviously a change of scenery because Paris and London seem like really hectic cities. Yeah. Yeah, for real. I know Vietnam is as well. Sorry, it's yeah, gone, but it's yeah. different style. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> different style of mess, but it's a, it's another one. I I really love it here. I just didn't know what to expect, but uh, I'm I'm very glad that I did because I managed to find also a job here um, that is also applying design, but you know in a different market, different yeah, sure. kind of knowledge. So it's 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 quite awesome. Okay. Cool. So this yeah, this sounds quite nice from both of your backgrounds. So let's kind of move into the main topics then. We've kind of spoken that we're going to be talking about things like harassment against women and toxic masculinity. So I'm going to ask both of you a kind of separate points about your own kind of personal experiences with these topics and kind of how you've dealt with them when they've come up, both you in kind of your research thesis and you in your solo traveling. So um, who should I start with then? Do you want to start again, Michelle? <laughs> if I must. <laughs> Ladies first. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's, really, it's really tough because um, you've you know, said a few times in your solo traveling and your solo traveling, and while that's true, that makes me, I think, very vulnerable as a victim or a target to any sort of crime, being a young 20-year-old traveling alone and living in a foreign country. I, like my personal experience, or you know, I'll say experience with, harassment is I don't categorize that way I guess I've just that's just life like and I think um I remember when I was 16 and gonna get my own car I couldn't wait to for people to like notice me and look at me like somebody was gonna honk and roll down their window and yell and this like Hollywood image of like yeah. being in a car and getting attention or being walking and having boys like roll down their windows and shout at you like I was programmed to think that was like attention and that was like looking good. And so I think as a teenager, you're looking for this validation of your attractiveness, of your worth in the world and to the opposite sex. So at a, at a very young age, what I would now qualify as harassment was desired. It was sought out because um, I, I thought that was a compliment. And as I got older and again became more vulnerable because I was solo traveling, those experiences got darker, even though the intention maybe was saying the the actual cat call was maybe the same I just realized like oh that's threatening and like this person might be following me home and I don't know who the authorities are and mm. like even a you know a male my size and my build will overpower me you know and so I guess my journey was 
this male-female dynamic and this looking for attention and this um, getting attention all the time or comments on your appearance or your, you know, sex appeal or X, Y, Z has just kind of evolved throughout my life to be something that's normal. Yeah, um, sure. And I don't mean that to sound maybe as dark as it does, but um, yeah, I guess that's a starting point. No, no, I definitely see what you're saying. I definitely think that kind of with this, well, especially the topic of kind of women harassment, I saw a statistic recently, I don't know if it's 100% true, but that 90% of women in the UK have been sexually harassed of some nature. And I kind of think that is staggeringly high and has got to a point as a result by society that it is considered normal. So Mm -hmm. that is a good starting point for you. Sorry, Karen. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say what was so interesting is I moved to Hungary. My parents were terrified. I'd get calls from my mom like, you're going to get stolen. You're going to get lost. You're, you know, you're going to disappear. You know, you're so, you know, I just worry about you all the time. And I had, I remember this phone call with my mom, one being like, mom, that's kind of insulting that you don't believe in me. You know, like trust yourself as a parent. You've prepared me for this. I'm an adult. But also I had to say to her, I go, you don't think my four years at university were far more threatening than my quiet little apartment in Budapest. Like, I think I was probably the most victimized in those years of like partying, no accountability, stumbling home, drunk, being in these really just, just no accountability house parties. And there's another element of like underage drinking where you don't go to the cops, you don't report anything because then you're guilty for being 19 with a beer. Yeah, of course. And so, yes, solo traveling has had its own hurdles but college culture party culture being a mm. you know a young adult in that atmosphere was in itself um full of harassment to be quite frank yeah for real probably those equal as solo travel in ways yeah. so yeah okay yeah. that makes sense so let's move on to like yourself then pierre that's okay what are kind of your experiences with kind of both of these topics leading on to your sorry your research thesis yeah, well, I think, um, you know, um, it's kind of, it's, it's funny because I think the trip that I did with toxic masculinity is kind of a rewind. Um, it's it basically, um, you know, there was this, you know, little movement called Me Too at some point. Yeah. And I think in, in, yeah. the, in the wake of that, um, there were a lot of reflection um, um, and a lot of behaviors that were pointed at. And I think, you know, it's kind of what, when you were saying that like, it's super surprising that uh, so many women are suffering from sexual harassment. But the thing is that because of this lack of accountability, it felt like, a, you know, it, it's just a one way conversation where it's OK. Let's say sometimes you, you have an argument with your mom and your mom. Basically, this argument is going to stay in your head. For years, but her shoes, she forgot it five minutes after. And I think in harassment, in a lot of situations, it's just like that because there is no accountability. Basically, um, in f- five minutes after, you forgot this action that you did, but this woman, she in- interiorized that thing as sort of a mini trauma. And all of a sudden, you know, when the same kind of setup, social setup is going to happen again, uh, she's going to have a completely different reaction. So, um, you know, uh, I think, you know, when we started this reflection, uh, we also started looking on the, the other side. What are the root causes? You know, it's kind of also what is the design approach. And um, one of the things is also, um, I think, really key element is the narrative that has been built for men to be men uh, in the first place. And a lot of that is, is, is extremely toxic, not only to women, but also to men themselves. Yeah. And the stat behind that is like, I think in the uh, Western economies, uh, men are three times more likely to commit suicide than women. Um, in the UK, I think studies have shown that, you know, uh, less than 3% of people associate kindness or, you know, um, uh, positive values to masculinity. 
So it's always about this one narrative of like strength, power, domination, and and basically this this model uh, fits maybe one percent of men, but not yeah, the rest, yeah. and all the rest kind of. Uh, end up in this situation where they have to, you know, wear the mask and and, yeah. and adopt that um, to for, for many purposes, like to be successful, but also to be, uh, you know, uh, desirable as well. Yeah. Um, I think there is a recent study that I've seen last week, a German biologist that shown that eighty percent women are attracted to twenty percent of men. So you you basically, and I think all of that is also kind of interiorized. Uh, um, model narrative of, ma of of masculinity and also femininity is what we were mentioning about Hollywood, the vision of like you know getting attention and everything. You we kind of interiorize one model of what it means to be a man, being a woman, and we have that split that is being done in ch childhood. And I really and so when I when I got to that point of of you know this Me Too movement, uh, I also had uh, I was confronted by a friend of mine on my own behavior yeah sure um it was my roommate at the time and basically you know from there you you start deconstructing all the why you do what you do yeah, yeah. and uh it kind of comes back came back to me to uh um when i was uh you know at school and uh i was kind of like the nerdy good student kind uh i wasn't getting much attention but at the same time i wasn't seeking it but when i was getting attention it wasn't positive right uh, and at some point you know you you reach an age you want to be able to have a girlfriend i wanted to be able to have a girlfriend i wanted to be cool and you start to being a bit more of a bro you know and this whole culture yeah, that sure. is uh, just uh, uh, turns you into something that you don't really are but at the same time you just adopt those those behavior traits those and the characteristics yeah you become fairly toxic yeah, so that's real. how I landed there. I was like, you know, it's a work that I did on myself, but at the same time, I wanted to be able to confront more people about this and have this conversation. Yeah, sure. And so then you worked with a charity from the UK, though, yeah. correct? Yeah. How did that all kind of come about? Um, well, I, I, I wanted to work on toxic masculinity before I met them. Right. And then I, I found them out. Uh, so as part of my master's degree, I had to do this uh, thesis. And uh, for that, you know, we have to address a design challenge and that challenge for me, I wanted to, to have a conversation on toxic masculinity. And I found the, this, this charity called MEND uh, that literally aimed at creating and building other narratives for masculinity for men in general uh, and creating this safe space for men to talk about, you know, their feelings and, and be more vulnerable. So uh, I connected with, with uh, uh, the, the director of this charity and, and I, I well, I presented him the framework that we did in design and he said, oh, that's awesome. Let's just bring it to the next level, you know. So um, we, we, we carried out research. So we interviewed men and women uh, across um, uh, the world. So we, we did a couple of interviews in, in Australia, one in Korea, um, in the UK, obviously, uh, mostly uh, in France. Um, so we, we got like a, a kind of a global picture of what it means to be a man in 2019 at the time yeah sure uh and uh it was i mean it was truly shocking i mean obviously it was not really surprising but the themes that we got uh from from our interviewee were all around you know uh, the pressure to be a provider to be powerful to pretend uh a lot of stories of uh, father-son relationship that were you know uh, dysfunctional um and it all revolved around, and this is where we, 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 what we focused on, which is uh, the lack of emotional maturity of men, because, because everything is kind of handed to us, right? We're supposed to be the dominating yeah. uh, you know, social uh, figure. So because of that, like, we don't have those conversations that women have or other uh, vulnerable groups have 
uh, about like how do we go about this world that is like not built for us and you know so you don't have those conversations so you don't build that solidarity and men are pretty isolated yeah. um, so we wanted to work on this emotional development and developing the emotional language of men that's that's really the, the challenge that we set for ourselves that we wanted to do okay yeah and then so thank you for sharing that yeah. so now I'm gonna move on to kind of another kind of question which bases it around culture you've obviously kind of lived in US Hungary Vietnam London Paris so we have you know a variety of cultures here what do you kind of think the attitudes are cult from different cultures towards harassment I understand this might be quite tricky to you know put them all into one but from obviously say the countries that we've mentioned what do you think the attitudes are and how would you like them to change so uh, should we go back to you Michelle so tough um yeah i can only speak to my experience which is you know narrow in the grand scope of the world but um i think of the u.s and that bubble i was in in university where um assault harassment these really toxic traits were really normal if not celebrated by hollywood and the party and the bros and the athletics and the um the the dressing up and um finding a partner and having a night you don't remember I think that in itself was its own weird subculture bubble that I don't have a solution for this campus life this dorm culture life this house party system that needs to be addressed um Budapest versus Vietnam where I consider myself much more an adult it is such a relief for me to be living in Ho Chi Minh City and feel so safe so much of the time Mm. and I can't put my finger on exactly what changed or how that worked, but I was riding public transportation. I commuted almost an hour to work each day in Budapest, and just the exhaustion of people standing too close, of people staring you down on a bus or at a bus stop, or worrying about who was following you home, and like, or these party bars where you were just going to get grabbed at walking through a crowd yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't seem to happen here. Um, and again, I don't know Asian men and Vietnamese culture or maybe just how I'm perceived um, in Vietnam, but that doesn't seem to happen. I don't feel like I get stares and attention or the very like physical um, presence or grabs, et cetera, in Vietnam. Um, so for that, I, I guess I just feel very lucky to have found this spot where my time and my energy can be much more more usefully repurposed than just my physical safety being a question going through your everyday routine okay cool and yourself Pierre kind of how do you think kind of attitudes are and how would you like them to change um well the direction that we took throughout our project was to to build more conversations in maybe um specific spots uh like specific pockets of society where those conversations are hardly being had so we we targeted at some point and we wanted to visit like prisons uh, one of the one of the key uh, you know expression of of that lack of emotional language was in the violence of every day so we wanted to talk to people who were in prison we wanted to um, also work with social workers in general like um, you know just addressing those those um, communities but at the same time i think there is another work but it, it not really on our side that is to be had on accountability in general right um uh, especially on, on in western countries i think in france uh, we are not very advanced 
uh, in that matter. I think because of there is this kind of image of uh, you know uh, the romantic romantic kind of friends, yeah, and they feel like if you if you change the standards there, you're gonna affect like a cultural traits somehow, mm -hmm. which I think is you know mm -hmm. absurd, but. Uh, it also probably shaped a, a different uh, character as well and a different persona for the French woman in general. They are like very tough uh, and, uh, you know, respond to aggression by aggression as well. Yeah, that's sure. kind of like what the image I'm that we have the films specifically I've seen. in Paris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of uh, the, the model that we have and I think things are not changing. And I think we're still also glorifying kind of that, oh, he doesn't take no for an answer. Uh, he's like uh, yeah. you know really interested which is kind of creepy but at the same time I don't know we still have that in, in cinemas and in, in movies in general um, and uh, I think in the UK I think in the, the UK is, is quite safer somehow for yeah, women sure. like I think what was what was shocking for me in that regard was how wasted uh, girls were feeling okay to to be in London and still you know like go home barely wearing anything and it was like so you, you you're just like okay like it's it must be quite safe uh, because of because of that but at the same time you also have the stories of um, you know I mean the ones that you mentioned uh, mm. Sarah Sarah Everhard right Everhard. yeah so you, you you still have some, you know that still happened right but at the same time I feel like as a city London London is safer I think Asia is is a totally different model of masculinity in that sense and uh, and the, the relationship with women is very different maybe they are much stronger as well like you know it's kind of Vietnamese mom right she's good so, <laughs> uh, wooden spoon yeah, exactly yeah. It's like, <laughs> they are yeah, like they, they control the finance they control the you know like they, they give allowance yeah, yeah. to men it's a different power the dynamic yeah of course um, it's a different pressure as well obviously you know when we address when we when we talk to people in Korea for instance it's still shocking uh, the pressure that they have to be providers and it, and, it, and it applies pressure on women in a different way which is kind of having a much stronger glass ceiling professionally politically um, that their voice is practically shut down so mm -hmm. I think in, 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 in Asia it's a different kind of dynamic but it, you know it has its toxic elements as well but it's less about I think uh, sexual aggression yeah for real Mm, there is something that's actually I didn't actually tell you this beforehand but it has come to mind so feel free if you don't wish to answer but um, I'm, kind of, I'm trying to see it from both sides because as we've spoken about kind of being a woman in a solo country a man wouldn't face the kind of thing in Budapest where he'd walk through a bar and he's not going to get grabbed um, you mentioned kind of this whole you know um, kind of male kind of bravado where you have to look at say a Johnny Bravo or a The Rock as kind of the yeah. focus so almost kind of flipping it from the other perspective what do you think that so sorry actually let me slightly rewind I think that both sexes are in kind of danger of stigma and judgment but the male for being this kind of alpha figure and both women for being sexually harassed so the point I'm trying to make what would you kind of think the other gender could do in order to help the other during this difficult period for both? Yeah, yeah I love that question. I really yeah. did very little in terms of preparation for this, but that was one of the points I was trying to sit with, is what is allyship and what could I possibly yes. say yes. as a woman to talk to my male friends, the people I'm close with, and say, this is what we need from you. And one of them we're not going to solve today. I'm sort of echoing into the abyss here, but I would love to cancel tipping culture. I 
that is taking a weird turn, but it's my years and years as a waitress. Sorry, what's tipping? Oh, t- oh yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah. In my head, I thought I'd missed something tipping, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, in yeah. my years as a bartender, all these college odd jobs and my gap year in the um, waitressing and when the patron of any, I don't care if it's nails or massage or food and beverage industry is all of a sudden the boss of the situation. I think you can find research on this too, that harassment goes up when Mm. a tip is expected. Um, So again, the three of us here aren't gonna solve that, but I really think it's important in businesses that the employer decides what good work is and not the customer. Um, And they don't get to decide that they get to make these comments and talk about your physique and your fitness. And I remember, you know, working in the States telling people I was going to be a teacher. And they're like, the seventh grade boys won't ever learn a thing from you. The way you look, you'll be so distracting. Like, if I was in your class as a kid, I'd be... And I was like, I just want to give you my hamburger. Like, can we just, like, have this transaction? And I don't think... I don't think I ever would have put up with that had it not been... I need your money. Yeah, I course. need you to like me. I need to do whatever it takes and degrade myself in a sense yeah, to yeah. get the extra dollar. So, so number one, tipping culture, I think really plays into this. Um, and the fact that most women are providing those services, at least in the industries I've worked in. Yeah, for real. Um, the second, I think, um, I, I guess realizing, this one is hard, realizing that men pose a threat when they don't mean to so that question for me of like feeling like someone was standing too close or following me home I think just accepting that the way we're built our physiology is that you know being alone in an elevator one man and one woman like she is in danger Mm. with the nicest sweetest most gentlemanly person in the world so I think if men were more aware of the the difficulties of navigating being a woman um, I think they could be better allies in just making sure they weren't um, making someone unintentionally uncomfortable. Yeah, sure. And those are the really kind of the micro aggressions, if you will, that I think each man could maybe shoulder a bit in saying like, have I checked on someone or have I left them alone when I needed to? Yeah. Have I told um, my friend who's a girl to go check on her, right? Just realizing that them as a man can't but I guess just in themselves, they pose a bit of a threat. And I'm sorry to no, <laughs> attack okay. anyone Make with that. Make a certain boundary, kind of know the boundary, know yeah. the limits. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. No, yeah, I kind of like tough. that answer. Um, oh. Yourself, Pierre, kind of, um, <laughs> what would you suggest for kind of the opposite gender for this thing? Oh, it's quite hard because I think that a lot of the blame comes still through men and also a model <laughs> of society that is very male-dominated. But um, if there is one thing, but I, I still think is you know, it's probably to uh, try and be uh, more mindful of the expectations that um, they might have or they might have built uh, from childhood uh, in terms of, you know, I mean, having this protective person uh, that is like very strong and very, because this is the model that is kind of hard to fit if it's just not you. So uh, is is that famous, you know, 80% women are attracted to 20% of men is that, that, um, being conscious of that narrative that is like dominating uh, and, and, and also try to not fall into 
oh this is so sexy you know yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's very hard to it's very hard to, to to change you know what you're attracted to but at the same time i feel like the 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 the, the, the one of the reasons why men ad- adopt that behavior is because they think this is what's going to lend them a family at the end of the day you know yeah sure it's being able like you know being willing to kill for them yeah okay that kind of yeah yeah now that does get said a lot actually it's like yeah, yeah they're providing you do anything it's like ooh that could exactly. get dangerous yeah. Uh, yeah for instance when I did the research I, I there was this guy who was mentioning how his his girlfriend was always expecting him to driving drive her yeah. but he, he hated to drive so it was basically just like you know it's just not something I'm gonna do I don't want to do it and she was like oh but you know you're the guy yeah yeah for real so it's kind of you know how you have those expectations that you build because of Disney and because of maybe the, 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 the your own father figure that yeah. creates maybe sometimes some uh, uh, doesn't create a safe space for uh, the partner to feel free to be vulnerable yeah for I real. think this is the this is the most thing but I still think that for the space for vulnerability it's more like uh, there is more um, impact to be made with men between themselves okay yeah I think I could be on the sponsor yeah for real so yeah that's kind of coming to the end of the conversation then guys um, I think this has been great I think this has been informative and well researched and well thought out um, any final thoughts either of you would like to add it's okay if you don't oh I mean I enjoyed the opportunity to chat and learn so thank you guys both for um, having this conversation, I really just am going to take away the the message you said, Pierre, where it was like, because men haven't struggled for their position, they haven't like built this resiliency, that kind of butterfly idea of like, you've got to fight through the cocoon to be strong enough. And so yeah. I'm going to maybe think about that in my relationships with men is like, how can we facilitate those conversations to like, maybe help their emotional awareness or well-being um, yeah, good food for thought. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, confront confront people who are toxic as well. Because yeah, me, sure. it's kind of how it started for me. You know, yeah, uh, it's yeah. really what I like. If there is one call to action that I want to that I want to give is is you know just confront people who are toxic and specifically when it's your friend when you feel like you can have that kind of conversation with them because because then maybe you're going to start a process that then going to land on yeah. you know uh, having more conversations about this. Um, so yeah, uh, this is this is kind of like what I like. I mean, obviously, uh, I'm I'm so grateful for the opportunity to talk about this work that I've done as well. But yeah, sure. yeah I, I just want to expand this conversation because those conversations needs to be had in every family and in yeah. every you know uh, father son relationship and all of that. You know, we yeah. need to yeah. restore that kind of dynamic. Yeah. So yeah, thanks again, guys. And if either of you ever separately want to come on and chat about I don't know your journey or the work you're doing, more than welcome. Thank you so much.